that we might hear from you. Amen. And we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. So St. John writes of Jesus in the prologue to the fourth gospel. In Jesus, John says, we have seen God's glory. Now, there is so much theological significance in this one little sentence. So much to glean about the nature of God and about the truest, fullest expression of created humanity. For in the person of Jesus, John means, we have seen what a human being truly alive looks like. In Jesus, John means, we have seen a picture of human potential reaching its fullness. Yes, in Jesus, John means, we have seen a human being properly aligned with the God-given glory for which humanity was designed. We have seen God's glory, John says. We have seen it with our own eyes eyes and that glory John is saying looks like this like Jesus like one who opens his arms to sinners and outcasts like one who listens patiently and is responsive to need like one who is kind and generous and faithful and self-control, like one who is rightly angered over injustice and one who is brokenhearted at the sight of sin and death. A human being full of glory. We have seen such a thing, John says, and his name was and is Jesus. Recently, our family rewatched Disney's The Princess and the Frog, the classic fairy tale about the prince who's turned by spell into a frog and who cannot become a prince again, which is to say, cannot become who he really is until he has been kissed by. A princess. Well, as we watched this movie, I was reminded of how old this trope is. That is to say, this trope of true love's kiss drawing out that which is latent inside of humanity. For you see, this narrative trope is found all across human history, popping up in different cultures at different times. And this particular version of the trope, which is to say this version about a prince turning into a frog and then through a kiss turning back into a prince, this particular version of the trope, scholars believe, originated in ancient Rome and ultimately became popularized through Grimm's fairy tales. And should you be wondering why I'm telling you this and not talking about, say, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians... Allow me to now tell you why. I bring all this up this morning. All of this meaning this trope about true love's kiss and about the history behind this particular version of the prince and the frog. 
I bring all of this up in order to point out that we as human beings, long before the incarnation of God in Christ Jesus, have always apparently had a deep intuition about something that turns out to be very central to Christ Jesus' gospel. An apprehension of something fundamental about divine creation. Which is that broken and marred and sinful as we no doubt are as human beings, within us is a splendid creation. As a humanity created in the image of God, that prior to the fall of humankind was regal and confident in our sense of identity and self-worth and purpose. And thus, though we now experience ourselves as alienated and as estranged from that certain fullness, still, as children created in and bearing God's image, each one of us is necessarily unique and is designed for a specific purpose. Each one of us is a singular facet of a multifaceted gem, together designed to radiantly reflect the manifold glory and splendor of God. Thus, each one of us, fairy tales with a trope like this teach us, each one of us is at our core such a person. We're all the prince or the princess. Fairy tales like this teach us. But, such fairy tales remind us, we are not yet that person. Or in Christian terms, we do not yet fully reflect the divine image in the way that we were originally designed to reflect it. For our brokenness, our waywardness, our sinfulness, so much more besides. All of this keeps us from fully being that truest created expression of ourselves, from fully being that glory self which even now is latent inside. And so the remarkable insight that such fairy tales capture, and again, captured long before the incarnation of God in Jesus, which is amazing. The remarkable insight such fairy tales capture is that it is love that occasions our transformation from the one state to the other. That it is love and love bestowed upon us by grace, which is to say love given despite our unworthiness of it. It is love such fairy tales teach us. Love, unwarranted external love that makes possible our becoming who we truly are. Of awakening us who we were designed to be. It is indeed a tremendous insight into the nature of divine reality, into the fundamental nature of creation itself, into the way that we were wired and into the mind of the one who wired us. But here's what's not quite right about this insight. Which is to say, here's where the princess and the frog and all other fairy tales about the power of true love's kiss, here's where such fairy tales overstate the principle at play. 
This kind of personal transformation, which is indeed made possible by love and grace from outside of ourselves, which is to say in Christian terms from the very God who spun the world into being, this kind of transformation does not happen in a single spectacular moment. Which is to say we are not fully and finally transformed the moment we receive true love's kiss. Or to put that into Christian parlance, we do not become our glory selves the moment we open ourselves up to the love and the grace of Christ Jesus. Theologically speaking, we are fully justified in that moment, yes. Fully sanctified, however. Fully who we will one day become. No, unlike the frog who immediately becomes a prince upon receiving that lavish, unwarranted love. No, no, we then are more like a frog inspired by that lavish love to begin leaping from one lily pad to another. And then eventually to another. And then eventually to another, each successive leap, along with all the many zigzags and setbacks in our leapings, because make no mistake, those will happen too. Each successive leap, each one slowly shaping us into the royal one, so to speak, that our humanity was designed for into the royal one whom we are even now becoming. Lily pad to lily pad to lily pad. It's a great image, isn't it? I've always loved this image for the faith journey, this image of a frog leaping from one lily pad to the next. This image of a slow, steady, staggered journey, one that moves and fits and starts. This journey from one place of rest and reflection to the next. With each successive leap occasioning a stronger, more robust faith and a fuller, more realized human creation. I first encountered the image in Anne Lamott's book, Traveling Mercies, and it's one that has stuck with me ever since. And I found myself reflecting on this image, and particularly reflecting on it in contrast to this image of the princess and the frog as I read and reread 2 Corinthians this week. See, we were always going to get to 2 Corinthians. You just had to hang tight. We were always going to get there. I say this because 2 Corinthians is an epistle largely about this process of leaping from one lily pad to the next. Just as it is an epistle in many ways about how we do not become who we were designed to be through an immediate act like, say, the kiss of a princess. Or for our purposes, of course, through the initial confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. 
No, here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is explaining to the church in Corinth that there is indeed a model for who and for what we will become as redeemed, restored human beings. And moreover, Paul is saying, just like John said in the opening words of his gospel, moreover, Paul is saying, that model is Jesus Christ. All of us who have opened ourselves up to and who have accepted the unconditional love and grace of God, Paul is exhorting the Corinthians, all of us will become, through the molding power of the Holy Spirit, the glory selves we were originally designed to be. This will happen, Paul is saying. But, Paul is saying, this will not happen overnight. This does not happen, Paul is saying, in a twinkling of an eye. Unlike the return of Jesus and the consummation of God's kingdom. No, this does not happen in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says, nor does this happen without our own commitment to it and our own willful participation in the process. Instead, Paul is saying, this takes place under the oversight of time and under the tutelage of faithfulness And under the steady commitment of the one surrendered to Jesus and the one who truly believes in the glory self that he or she can indeed become. But oh, how much does the ministry of justification abound in glory, Paul asks rhetorically. How much does it abound in glory, Paul says, for all of us are being transformed into that image, his image, being transformed from one degree of glory into another, degree by degree. All of us, Paul says, in Christ are being transformed. Note that he doesn't say all have been transformed. And note that he doesn't say all may be transformed. No, instead Paul says all are being transformed. In other words, in Christ Jesus there is someone we are to become. And through and given our cooperation, the love and the grace of God and the formative power of the Holy Spirit will indeed keep nudging us toward and slowly fashioning us into that someone. But this transformation, Paul says, is an ongoing process. One that begins the moment that we confess Christ Jesus as Lord and one that will not culminate until we have been resurrected in the final consummation of God's coming kingdom. For in the end, at least in the Christian account of things, our journey from frog to prince does not happen in a single moment, as the fairy tale suggests it does. But it does happen in the same way. Which is to say, it is through the reception of unwarranted external love that we become who we were always supposed to be. Yet the very nature of this love causes the transformation in question to be slow and staggered, full of setbacks and fits and starts, all so as to render it in the consummation fully. Solid.
lily pad to lily pad to lily pad to life, to true life, full life, abundant life. All of us, Paul says, are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. Yes, we have seen his glory. Through Jesus, we know what truest humanity looks like. Through Jesus, we know what a glory self looks like. Through Jesus, we know what awaits us in the coming kingdom of God. And so if we truly do believe Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior, it follows that we would want our own lives to express the same kind of glory as His. That we would want our own lives to be conformed into the image of His own. And so then, as we continue our staggered journey from one lily pad to the next, let us keep our eyes on the life that Christ Jesus modeled for us. And let us keep ourselves open to the Holy Spirit that He shares with us. And let us commit ourselves to the work of becoming ever more like Him, so much so that we might jump from the lily pad of self-absorption today to the lily pad of, say, kindness and generosity tomorrow. And then from there to the lily pad of grace and forgiveness and commitment to justice. And then from there to the lily pads of gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And on and on and on. From lily pad to lily pad, from one degree of glory to the next, from frog to royal, from creation present to kingdom come, from human being to human being fully alive. And all God's people said, Amen.